welcome today to church. Welcome to those on live stream, listening on YouTube, maybe delayed, but the, the word of the Lord is a now word. And so we welcome you all around the world, people watching and listening in America, even as far as Perth. <laughs> it's a long way. All those around the world in France, we know there are many people that tune in each week. We welcome you. You're part of God's family. And the word of the Lord that's released here today is quick and active, and it's real for you today. He's a miracle-working God, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? I want to talk to you today about the culture of worship. And this is not the culture of Hope City Church. This is the culture of the kingdom. And we want to surrender our hearts, our traditions, even our upbringing, our mindsets to what God says is true worship. Amen? Amen. I'm setting you up because everything that the Bible says about worship will require all of us to lift ourselves to a higher level of expression. The kingdom of God is a radical kingdom. Let me tell you something. There's no seeker-friendly worship in heaven. Well, Lord, we've done two songs. I think that's probably enough. We don't want to scare away the angels. It's radical worship day and night. Day and night, radical worship of Jesus. So I'm going to give you four things today as you take notes about what kingdom culture is when we worship the Lord. So are you ready? Yeah. Are you ready to receive these into your heart? Yeah. See, I have a vision that when you and I come together to worship God, that our worship goes to a whole new level. That's my vision. I have a vision in my heart that as Joshua begins to worship, this front is filled with radical worshipers that have forgotten about everyone else and their eyes are fixed on him in devoted worship to him. God, Because that's God's vision. He's seeking those who would worship him in spirit and in truth. He's, he's attracted to these sort of worshipers. So four things. Are you ready? Good. Number one. The first thing about corporate worship is there are hearts that are engaged. Engaged hearts of love. So when we come in, God has engaged our hearts and there's a natural overflow of love. You know what? It's, it, it, it's amazing that as we come into the kingdom, that so often we're, we're unwilling, maybe unable to surrender our hearts, to truly love Him like He loves us. That, that one of the things on God's heart today is that there are so many believers that their hearts are fractured and they don't know how to love God. So they sit in church, they sit throughout the week, and God comes to them, but they don't know, they're unable to release their heart in affectionate love and worship towards Him. The Bible tells us that the greatest is love. Did you hear that? The greatest thing is love. You know, it's not knowledge. 1 Corinthians 13 says that we can, we can know all mysteries. We can give our bodies to be burned at the stake. But if we don't have love, we have nothing. And in the last days, Jesus said that the hearts of many would grow cold and they would be offended because Things will begin to happen. There'll be a shaking that goes on in the earth. And the, the thing that will keep you, listen carefully, in these last days, the thing that will keep you to the very end is a heart that is smitten with love for Jesus. Because I tell you something, all of us are going to have opportunities to be offended from here onwards. There's going to be contradictions and mysteries. And there has to come a place in our hearts where we say, God, even though I don't understand, even though there are mysteries that I don't understand why this happened and that happened, I choose to love you. I've been taken by love. I say to my kids, the one thing that kept me through all the years of contradictions and pain and mystery and God, you should have done that and I don't understand why this happened, was that I'd 
fallen in love with God, that he had taken my heart, he'd arrested my heart, and I could not go. The, the disciples say, said, where else can we go, Lord? When those turned away from Jesus, because what he said was too hard for them to comprehend, they said, Lord, who else has got the words of eternal life? We've come to know and to believe that you love us with an unending love. We've been taken by that love. You see, the Bible assures us that in the last days, the glory of the Lord would cover the earth as the water covers the sea. And that glory isn't some sort of nebulous thing like some you know, weird stuff in the clouds. It's a very real thing. Do you know the glory of the Lord is really God's good opinion about us. It's, it's his affection. It's the knowledge of his deep love for us. And, and the Bible tells us, Isaiah tells us, that the glory of the Lord would cover all the earth. Everybody on earth would see, there would be evidence of God's greatness and his love towards humanity. So as we come to worship him, it's with hearts that are unlocked with affection towards him. What an amazing thing. Do you know when Jesus came, he constantly revealed pictures of God's love towards us. So we would be able to place them in our heart. And as we worship, we are placing pictures of God's love, words of God's love in our heart until the atmosphere inside us begins to unlock and explode within us. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 9, he says, What man is there among you? If his son asks for bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will he give him a serpent? You then being evil who know how to good gifts, how much more will your Father in heaven give you good things? What was Jesus doing? He was beginning to replace the pictures that had been built up in our heart with pictures of God's love and affection towards us. God is a God of amazing love and passion towards us. Psalm 86, 5 says, For you, Lord, are good, you are ready to forgive. And you're abundant in mercy to all those that call upon you. The one word that sums up God in all of the Old Testament is this one word. Found right through the Old Testament is hesed, which is H-E-S-E-D. And it sums up the nature and the characteristic of God towards us. And this word literally means God's unending, relentless tenderness towards us. A tenderness that pursues us all the days of our lives. That's our God. And so Jesus came to earth, to an earth that, it was, that was so bound with his, with his orphan nature. And he began to paint pictures in our heart, pictures of who God was. God wants to put a picture inside us. And these pictures inside us determine the emotions that flow through us. And one of the reason, reasons that our heart is locked up is because the pictures that we have inside us have contaminated our emotions. But God wants to put new pictures inside us so our emotions would begin to flow. Many of us have got pictures of God that is harsh and, and, and demanding, that he's unforgiving. You know, we, we've put a portrait of our earthly parents upon the heart of God. And Jesus came to earth to reveal the love of the Father towards us. Do you remember the parable in Luke 15? This is what Jesus was doing. He was replacing old pictures with new pictures. And as we worship, we are replacing the old with the new. We're putting off the old man and putting on the new man. Jesus said that, that he comes like a shepherd who would go after one and leave the 99. He's like... He says, then the Holy Spirit's like a woman that would seek after a lost coin. She would sweep all the house till she found the coin. Then the father who would, who would go day after day waiting for his prodigal son to return. These were pictures that Jesus was giving to us that would relate to us about the Trinity and their passionate desire to us. What were those three pictures that Jesus was saying? That you're of immense value to God that he would leave the 99 to save you, that you matter to him, that one person matters to God. You may be here today and you think, my life doesn't matter, I'm insignificant. People just walk past me, I'm a blur to people. But the pictures that God is placing in your heart today is that you matter, you're valuable. Every single 
person matters to God. This is what Jesus came to do. So our hearts would erupt with love and those lies, those pictures that have been built inside us would be dismantled. Many people come to church with wrong pictures about God and they're unable to let their hearts go and to love him, to be loved. He says he's like the woman who would seek for that lost coin. See, God wants to not just tell you that you're worthy and valuable, but you have an amazing identity. The coin represented identity. That you are fearfully and wonderfully made, crafted by God. God has an amazing uh, personality that he's placed. He loves you and he likes you. He likes your quirkiness. He likes those peculiar things, the way you brush your teeth in the shower and you don't put the lid on the toothpaste. He loves all those things about you. He's that same one that, that waits for the prodigal to come home, that you have value, that you have identity, that you have an inheritance. And these are the pictures that Jesus put out there to all of us so we would begin to internalize those pictures so our emotions could be free. Let me tell you, and I've said this many times, your emotions are belief indicators of what you believe inside. They are not indicators of truth. They're just indicators of what you believe. You may feel sad and rejected and lonely today. That's a reflection. All your emotions are a reflection of what the pictures are on the inside. They're not necessarily true. Because see, here's the truth. Your Father in heaven absolutely loves you. And when we come into worship today, it's about placing the right pictures on the inside. The, you know, I've just almost finished my third book, and in that I write about creating a spiritual family album where we begin to have pictures about all the ways that God has come through for us. Some of us have albums about all the ways that God has not come through, all the ways that we perceive God to be harsh and unloving. And is it any wonder that we come into a place of worship and our hearts are locked because we've got the wrong family album? Jesus came and he removed all the old pictures, all the lies of the enemy. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest to destroy the old photos, kick them out and say, that is not what my father's about. My father is a good God, a loving God, a kind God, altogether lovely. And so as we come into a place of worship, it's with this revelation, my father is passionately in love with me. He is waiting for me. Like the, the prodigal son and the father who waited every day. He's waiting for you today to worship him. He's longing for you to worship him. He comes every day. Is this the day my people will worship? Is this the day? And the moment we come to our senses and we turn to him, he begins to redress us with a new identity, he puts the robe and the ring. He loves you today. And the heart of the Father to God's people is, oh, that they would allow me to love them and that they would love me. Why is it that the body of Christ in general, their hearts are so locked to him? But there's a new day where God's people are forgetting about everyone around them. They don't care about what other people think. It's not that they don't value other people, but their focus and their heart is for one person, and his name is Jesus. And their hearts are being undone by him. I've got to be honest, growing up, I didn't like the word love in the Bible. I thought God, I'm just being frank with you now, I thought God had made a big mistake. There remains faith, Hope and love. And this is Andrew's version. And the greatest is faith. I wanted to do things for God. I wanted to be a world changer with this love thing. There's hugging people, crying, being touched by God, calling him Abba, Father, Puppy, God, Papa, Papa, I don't know, whatever it was. It's like, duh. It's like, get a life, grow up and do something valuable. But the older I've got, the more I realize that the greatest is love. Here's the deal. When you go out to your assignment, if your hearts aren't secure in love, if you haven't been transformed by the love of God, eventually you will be taken out. That's not a prophecy. That's not a threat. 
that's not anything else but truth. Our hearts are guarded by love. What keeps us safe from the enemy? How did the Apostle Paul go through all the trials and the tribulations? It's because his heart was guarded by love and affection. It is the greatest resistance against spiritual warfare and attack to know that I'm loved by my Father and I'm cocooned in his presence. How does he become a shield to me from from the enemy? That word shield literally means that I draw myself inside him. I literally come into him and he becomes my shield. I come into his heart. It's the safest place to be. So I want to see, and my prayer for you today is our hearts engaged by love. Our hearts are engaged by love. And if you find it hard today to love God and to be loved by him, can I tell you, it's time to change. And I want to. I know. But it's time to change. Many of you know of the prophet Bob Jones who went to heaven. And uh, it wasn't that he was reprimanded, but he was kind of spoken to by the Lord who, who sent him back to earth because he'd done all these amazing things for God, for those that know of him. But God asked him one thing, have you learned to love? Uh, Go back. He became the prophet of love. It's amazing that he died on Valentine's Day. But he became the prophet of love. He began to understand that the greatest is love. I can do all these things. I can give my body to be burned at the stake. I can. But you're just like a clean symbol if you haven't learned to love God. You're out of tune. With all of what heaven's about, heaven's about love, it's about affection. It's about being able to express love and affection towards God. Well, you don't understand, Andrew, I was never brought up with affection and love. Well, guess what? You're now born into a new family with a new spiritual DNA. And your father is God in heaven and your brother and the one that you love, his name is Jesus. And you have his same nature. Holy Spirit has placed in you the nature of Jesus. See, the problem is that we keep associating with our old nature, not our new nature. And our new nature is that we're in Christ, anointed in him. We are anointed to love. See, the enemy's a liar. You keep having you associate with your old nature. He said to me just this week, Andrew, you are very undisciplined. That's what the devil said to me. I said, thanks for encouraging me. But you know what the Lord said to me? He said, what did Paul say to Timothy? God has not given to you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love and power and a disciplined mind. You are a very disciplined man because you're in Christ. You're a man of love because you're in Christ. You're a man of power because you're in Christ. You have the ability to love extravagantly because you're in Christ Jesus. So why don't you raise your hands and I'm going to ask our Father, Lord, would you teach us how to love? Would you teach us how to engage our hearts towards you in radical devotion and affection? We, we realize, Lord, that often we've been led with our head and not our heart. And we're called to be heart people. The kingdom's first and foremost, God is love. Teach us how to love. Lord, as we go throughout a week and as we assemble together. Unlock our hearts to love. Lord, you know, for many of us, it's not easy because we've been wounded. We've been given bad models. Lots of stuff has happened. Lots of questions. And we lay that all at your feet, Lord. And we say, Lord, would you heal our hearts and teach us how to love? We are no longer associated with our old identity. We are in Christ Jesus. And I unlock in your heart the ability to love extravagantly. May you never be the same again. The word of the Lord over your heart is that you are made for extravagant love. Give God a hand. Number two, expressive. Say with me, expressive. Engaged and expressive. 
You see, we were designed to express ourselves. It's like a kettle when it boils, it has to whistle. I can't whistle, but... <laughs> Expressive. An unhappy heart is a sitting duck for the enemy. It's a heart that's easy to tempt because it lacks any defensive qualities to respond when under attack. Listen carefully. Temptation is always harder to resist when your heart is hurting and sad. Happy hearts are safe hearts. Say with me, happy hearts are safe hearts. Say it again, happy hearts are safe hearts. Yeah. Did you hear that? I'm going to have a happy heart because it's a safe heart. He's turned my mourning into joy. Yes, there's seasons for mourning, but it's not a lifestyle. Jesus was a man acquainted with pain and sorrow, but by far the predominant disposition of his heart was joy, exceeding joy. And he's inside you waiting to get out. Ha-ha-ha. <laughs> Just laugh a little. Shock your body. One of the reasons that Jesus never sinned was because he was anointed with the oil of joy more than all of his companions. There's a key there that the joy of the Lord is our strength. That part of your victory is in your joy. You choose joy. You choose joy. I will rejoice. This is the will of God. Well, I know what the will of God is. I'll tell you what the will of God is. How many people want to know the will of God for their life? We all do. This is the will of God. In everything, give thanks. Now, I don't like that. Well, there's not, there's, not, there's not a B. There's no B in it. There's only an A. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Rejoice evermore is the will of God. It's a, it's a disposition of joy and gladness that we choose every single day. The happy, loving Father God was a foreign concept to all of the religious people. That's why they couldn't see the Messiah in Jesus, because he was too happy. That's why some people don't like church, because the people are too happy. I'm looking for a church that's more mature, more deep where they don't shake and laugh and they don't love Jesus too much. There's a real need in the earth today for people to be educated about the subject of who God is, what he's like, the things that he loves and desires. Most Christians don't know what God's like. How can I prove that? Just look at their face. It's a billboard for what they think God's like. He's uptight, he's grouchy, he's touchy, he's sad, he's irritable, he's in pain. That's not what God's like at all. That's why they couldn't see Jesus as the Messiah. He was obviously too happy and hung around too many unholy people. So he couldn't be the Messiah. He wasn't devout and holy and religious and uptight. I've said this before, but like Peter, I won't be negligent to remind you again. That the fruit of the Spirit is the language of the Father. Here's the thing, you will never, and this is an out there statement, but you'll never bear the fruit of the Spirit until you hear God speak to you in the fruit of the Spirit. So if you want, name one of the fruits. Anybody? Joy. If you want joy in your life, you, you, you don't work that up. You don't, you don't squat and... No. How do you get joy in your life? You hear God speak over you with words of joy. And as you hear, you become. They are fruit of the Spirit, not our spirit, His Spirit. We are in the vine. Our job is just to abide. His job is to take His nature and pour it through me. As He speaks to me in the language of the fruit, I become that. That's why the Bible says we imitate him as dear loved children. A children listens to the language of their parents and then begins to mimic. Yeah. Our God is a joyful God. He says, if you're going to come into my home, enter into my home with thanksgiving and come in with praise. 
Rejoice forevermore. There's no room for sad sacks in my house. You've got to let that go. I'm a joyful God. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord our God is in our midst today. Amen? Amen? He's a warrior that can deliver. So he's here today to deliver you. He takes great delight in you. So he's happy as well. That's good to know. And he will renew you by his love. Thank you, Father, that you're here today to love us back into wholeness. Amen? Amen. And it says, he shouts for joy over you. Praise myself. Because he's God. Praise myself. Praise myself. Because my people love me. No, he shouts for joy over you. So when he thinks about me, Heaven begins to rumble and thunder because he's shouting out aloud, this is my son whom I love. Get a look at him. Look, he's taken one step. I know it's a small one, but I'm rejoicing today in my son, my child. Expressive hearts, joy-filled hearts. And so you can't worship God in silence. It must express. Love must express itself in joy and gladness. He has made me glad. We enter in. And as we take those pictures of a loving, joyful Father and we put it in our hearts, joy begins to rise in our hearts. My prayer for this church is that we learn to become expressive. I'll give you a hint. I will not be offended if you shout for joy. And God won't be offended. In fact, it brings such joy to his heart to know that his people are excited about him. I break the spirit of fear of man and tradition and the lies of religion that says we cannot worship God with abandoned hearts of joy and gladness. God's desire for you today is that you would release yourself and begin to worship with joy and gladness. Expressive hearts. Right down the back and the front. Expressive hearts of worship. Outdoing one another in acts of radical love and devotion towards God. We are to, to encourage and to stir one another up. That's the word I was after. Stir one another towards good works. What's a good work? To worship Him. That was good today, Keith, when you did your offering and there was, there was passion in your heart. Well done. You're amazing. Keep passionate about giving to the Lord. When you see people worshipping God, you know what? Your worship did something to my heart. Should we say that? Well, the psalmist says to say that. He says, the humble will hear it and be glad. Bless the Lord, I'm my soul. And as we radically worship him, it says the humble, which that word literally means depressed and downtrodden. They will hear and see your radical worship and it'll do something to their heart. Remember I told you about Reg Garvin? He was the, uh, the footballer, the captain coach of the Saints back in the 60s, I believe. And every week, him and Nancy, hand to hand, jumped up and down to music you couldn't even dance to. And it was like... I didn't know what church they were in, but it wasn't the church I was in. But they were like in this Holy Ghost cocoon. And they loved and they worshipped. And I looked at that as a young boy and I said, I don't know about everyone else in this church. There's a lot of grisly guts and weird people, but you are genuine and real. And I want what you've got. Yeah? They were radical in their devotion to the Lord. Not just for one week, but week after week after week. There was no smoke machines and great music. It was plain. But their hearts had exploded in a lifestyle of love and devotion to God. Raise up the Reg and Nancy's, Lord, I say. With different names. <laughs> now, here's the third one. Expectant. Say expectant. expectant. Filled with faith. Expectant hearts, when we come together, our hearts filled with love, our hearts expressing with joy and gladness. Now, here's expectant hearts. The body of Christ must, 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 must maintain an environment of expectation. Expectation of the righteous shall not be cut off. 
Expectation is such a powerful force when we come together with one accord, expecting God to move. Not just one person, not just one person down the back, but imagine what happens when we all are in one accord in one place. That's a place where Holy Ghost comes in his fullness. Expectant hearts, the lame man in the temple. You know the story, many of you, Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Day after day, he came to that temple, lame, begging, no sign of any breakthrough. But he comes, Peter and John, riding on their white stallion to save the day. God has come today. And what happens to this lame man? He was lame from birth. He was expecting a miracle that day. His spiritual senses were attuned that this is my day of breakthrough. And his eyes were fixed upon Peter and James, expecting to receive something from them, the Bible says. You've got to come to church. In fact, every day is your worship, expecting that this is my day for a breakthrough. This is my day to encounter God. This is my day to be used for Him. This is the day of the Lord. I'm expecting you to do something. I am the eternal optimist. I haven't, I haven't changed my preaching from day one. You can ask Karen. I am the eternal optimist that God has a great plan for our city. I'm not going anywhere. God's going to have to drag me out of this city. He can do that if he wants. But I have an eternal hope that this city is destined for revival and breakthrough and the fullness of his kingdom manifest on earth. And I'm expecting God to do it every week. God, come in your power and touch hearts and lives. You are a result of my expectation. Not just me, but many. You're here today because I expected you to come. I prayed you today. I said, Lord, bring them in. Bring in hungry hearts. I want people in this church that are passionate lovers of Jesus. All right? And if it doesn't happen this week, then come back next week. Well, let's try again, Lord. Stir their hearts. Do something great. Do a miracle. And as I look at all the young people down the front, hearts on fire, that is a result of men and women with expectation saying, God, there was a season where there wasn't one young person in this church. Not one. Yeah, wow. Wow. And we said, Lord, bring them in. We haven't seen nothing yet. This is just, this is just the first drop in the ocean. There's an expectation that God is touching this city with radical young and old people. Our vision was the young and the old would come together in one accord. They would carry a young spirit in their heart, a spirit for the new of God, expectation. Peter and John said, according to your faith, okay, rise up, rise up. They saw the expectation, the heart to be healed. See, God is looking for expectant hearts. If you expect nothing, you'll get nothing. God will go over a thousand people to find one hungry heart. The eyes of the Lord, they search right across the earth, looking for those whose hearts are loyal towards him. What sort of loyalty? Expectation. Expectation. I'm believing. I'm believing. Jesus came at the time he came because there were expectant people. I think it says in the Passion that they were standing on tippy toes in anticipation. Many of you, or some of you may know, that Paul Cain, the prophet, he died in this year, I believe, February, I think the second week of February. I had a friend who was able to be with him just before he died. And uh, he had his challenges, but he was a mighty man of God. He was one, I think, probably the last that I know of, men, women, men and women, out of the healing revival in the 50s under Branham, and uh, he saw profound miracles, signs, and wonders. I'm just going to tell you a quick story about him when it comes to expectation. Paul Cain's mother, her name was Anna. She was a prophet, a prophetess, who when she was 44 years old, she became pregnant with Paul in her womb. While she was pregnant, she had four major terminal diseases. I believe she had tuberculosis, a heart condition, she had tumors in her body, in her womb, and she had breast cancer in both her breasts. Her breasts had been eaten away. She was carrying Paul in her womb. 
Doctor said she won't live to see her baby being born. The angel of the Lord, you may or may not believe in angels, but God believes in them. They're in the Bible. And they come to people in times of great need. And the angel of the Lord came to Anna and said, you're going to have a son and his name will be Paul. And he will be like Paul the Apostle. He will be a man who does mighty signs and wonders at the end of the ages. And as the angel spoke to her, she was totally delivered from every disease. Her breasts were restored. Her tumors were removed. Her heart was healed and the tuberculosis was cancelled out. God is a miracle-working God. This is documented. Yeah, give him a proper hand. Yay, God. You'd be saying yay, God, if that was you. The baby said yay, God. The baby was born. And history shows that his name was Paul and that God did a mighty, a mighty work in his life. Over a hundred times, God came to him with a vision that there would be stadiums all across the world that would be filled with hungry hearts, filled with signs, wonders, and miracles. He talked about a, a nameless generation. In other words, just you and I, just regular Holy Ghost-filled people like Stephen. And they would see signs and wonders through their ministry of laying on of hands. Anna lived for another 60 years, 104 when she died. At the time of her death, just before she was ready to go home, she told her son that the Lord had one more prophetic word for him. And it would be the most important prophecy that she'd ever released. And he says, what is it, mum? And she says, I don't know. But when God tells me, I'll let you know. I just know that he's got one more word. After that, she went into a coma and... Uh, she came out of that coma after weeks of being in it and she said, Paul, the Lord is going to release over your life and the body of Christ, Luke 4, 18. Yeah. Did you hear that? Do you know what Luke 4, 18 is? The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. We saw it today. For he has anointed me to preach the gospel. Jesus opened the scroll where it was written of him in Isaiah 61. He says, today it's fulfilled. The scroll that Jesus opened has been opened again after this, over this end time generation. How do I know God was in it? Because Anna went back into the coma. Mike Bickle, some of you may know him, he was there and verifies his story with Paul Cain and Anna when she died. She died on April the 18th. Do you know what that means? 4.18. She died at 4.18 in the morning. I think God was saying something. That we are to set our expectation of the greatest move of God that we've ever seen. It's interesting that even, even Israel, and it's, you know, Israel had Dependence Day, or Independence Day, sorry, in 1948. They celebrated their Independence Day in 2018, the 70th anniversary, which is a really significant anniversary for Israel. And they celebrated it on April the 18th. It's interesting because they celebrate their Independence Day on a Hebrew date, which changes every year on our calendar date. And it just happened to fall on April the 18th on its 70th anniversary. God is saying, he uses Israel as a prophetic sign to his people that I'm about to pour out my spirit where every son and daughter shall be anointed like Jesus was anointed with the Holy Ghost and power to preach good news to the poor, to set the prisoner free, to open the eyes of the blind, to proclaim that this is the day of the favor of the Lord. It's called expectation. Jesus often, it was said of him that on a certain day, Jesus got into a boat. We, are, we don't live in uncertain days. We live in certain days. I'm certain with all my heart that God desperately wants to move through his people. So we come together with a spirit of expectation. That <laughs> move, Lord. 
Paul the Apostle preached in, what was his name? Eutychus, sitting on the, on the window, snoring. But it's a picture of the church. You see, there are people sleeping while the Spirit of God is moving because they've lost their expectation. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. And because they didn't stay close to Jesus, they allowed a fence to come in, disappointment. Well, I believed before and it didn't happen. Well, believe again. Believe again. Set your sails higher. Because God's going to come through. Not one word will fail. Faithful is God. He's promised to pour out His Spirit on all flesh. And I feel it. I keep saying to the church, I feel it that God is stirring His people. He's not the problem. It's our expectation that needs to be aligned. See, two can't walk together unless they're in agreement. God's saying, I want to move. I'm sending signs to the body of Christ. I use, I use uh, people and, and nations as like prophetic billboards to the church, but they haven't got eyes to see. You know how to interpret the, the signs in the sky and you say, well, if it's red, it's going to be a great day or a cold day or whatever it's going to be, but you can't read the signs of the Spirit. But not now, because we have eyes to see. We understand the language of the kingdom is different to the language on earth. God speaks in metaphors and signs, alerting his people that I'm about to move. Get ready. Are you expectant today? Do you come to church with a psalm, a hymn, a spiritual song? What does that mean? Full of the Holy Ghost with a word from God in my heart. I'm going to explode on the inside. Somebody's going to catch my overflow today. That's the culture of the kingdom when we worship. Yeah. Expectant hearts. And lastly, say lastly. lastly. Yeah, you said that loud. <laughs> Inquiring hearts. Inquiring minds want to know. What do I mean by that? I mean that we come sensitive to the move of His Spirit. Inquiring God. What do you want to do today? There's never, ever church as normal. I know how church is going to go. We're going to have three songs, the offering, the announcements. Pastor Andrew's going to preach. Um, get a, he'll get a couple of amens. We'll go outside. We'll have some tea and coffee. Talk to a couple of people about the footy and we'll go home. And that's the kingdom. Well, we got that down, Pat. So many churches are proud of the fact they know everything that's going to happen to the dot. Sensitive to the move of the Spirit. We say, Lord, we have an agenda here today. We have a framework, which is good and godly, but you are free to break in. If you want to speak, speak. I'll get out of the way. If you, pray for, if you want me to pray for someone, I'm there. God, however you want to move, we say we're ready to fly with you. The sons of God, not the children, say sons, that they are defined about as those that are led by the Spirit. The more mature you get, the more you have a sail that is easily moved to follow the wind of the Spirit, sensitive to His movement. So we as a church have a decision to make, and it's, it's this. Is God in charge or are we in charge? That's the decision. When God's in charge, people change. When man's in charge, the church may grow, but people don't change. I pick, I pick both. I want God to be in charge and the church to grow. I want God to do his thing. That's my deep desire. And so we have to be sensitive to him. So it means when we come together, we're not, we're not, we have fun, but we, we're not so disengaged from what God wants to do that we can't hear. See, many times we come to church and our hearts and our spirit isn't in tune with what God's doing. Ephesians 4.30 says that we can grieve the Spirit. And it's not like, and I, I know there's pictures like the Holy Spirit's a dove, and if you scare him, he flies away. You know, it's like, oh, he's got some sort of nervous tension that can be careful around the Holy Spirit, because you know, he's very sensitive, and if you do the wrong thing, he's just going to fly away. I don't think it means that. I don't think the Holy Spirit's a hypochondriac or... He you know, suffers from anxiety disorders. And I know many people think he's like that. Whoa, be careful. It's the Holy Spirit. To grieve the Holy Spirit is, is just to be ignorant 
of the way he moves and speaks and operates. Because Paul says, we grieve the Holy Spirit through foolish talking, wrong speech, putting ourselves down, putting others down, not being sensitive to what he's saying, not seeing what he's seeing. By despising prophecies, when God's moving, I don't think it was God. Someone starts laughing in church, well, that, that certainly can't be God. We quench the Spirit. We despise prophecies. We're not understanding that when the Holy Spirit moves, it's outside my paradigm. Listen, if everything that God does you get, it ain't God. If you, can, if you can describe everything, and if you've got a scripture for everything, if you've got an understanding of all that God does, all power to you, come up here, take over. My God is a big God. That doesn't mean that He does unholy things. Of course not. But he, his scope is so, so big. And we don't want to quench him. We don't want to judge him. I've seen God move in profound ways, even in this building, and people label it the devil and run out. And we, we despise and we limit what God wants to do. When God's at work, there's always amazing fruit. It may not look like how you would minister, but the fruit is life and joy and peace. And transformation. And before you judge what God is doing in someone else's heart, why don't you go and speak to them? Why don't you do them the, 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 the courtesy of saying, you know what? You look really weird today. What's God doing? Maybe you would sort of say it a bit nicer than that. But what's God doing in your heart? I could see God all over you. And you may learn something about who God is. He is amazing. And so when it comes to worship, we want to be sensitive to the flow of the Spirit of God. It's not all about you today. It's about Him. So when you come together, you're, you're watching what's happening up here. You're watching what's happening around you. You're still engaged with God, but you're sensitive. Lord, how do you want to move through me today? How do you want to minister through me today? How can I be an encouragement? How can I step into what you are doing as the body of Christ today? I want to hear your voice, Lord. And so when we come together, there's a culture of worship that we have to embrace. It's a heart of love, an engaged heart. So I want you to make a decision, not just at church, but throughout the week. I'm going to engage my heart. I'm going to let God love me, and I'm going to learn to love Him like He loves me. Maybe I shouldn't get you to raise your hand, but I'm sure there are many people here today that you've had trouble expressing your love. I'll put my hand up for you, okay? Because that's been me. Anybody else? Maybe you'd be brave. There's a few. Look. You can put your hand down. That's because our hearts get wounded. They get crushed. Because we're raised in a way that hasn't developed our hearts. Lots of things. But we say, Lord, I haven't always been good at loving you and expressing my love to you. But teach me how to love. You talk to the disciples who didn't know how to love and you caused them to be radical lovers. I believe you could do that in my life. I refuse to be defined by the lies of the enemy. Put your pictures in my heart of your devotion towards me. I'm going to be a lover. I'm going to be known as the greatest lover of Jesus. Does anyone else want to be known as that? Yeah. Only half? Anybody else? Anybody else? This is called peer pressure now. <laughs> I want to love him well. And I want to be in a church where we all love him. You know, one of the great things about this church, and there's many great things, is I hear this over and over, that when people walk out of this door, it's a continuation of the service, that our hearts are engaged in our devotion to God. We still have fun and talk about all sorts of things, but it's genuine. There's not a, there's not a break off from church to, right, we've done church, now we get on with our week. We are the church. We've come together. And our hearts love him. This is a radical, devoted bunch of people that love him with all their hearts. Amen. And we want to raise that value in our church that we can express our love. Amen? amen. Yeah. A big amen? amen? Okay, so hearts are engaged. Let's re refresh all these things. That we want to have an expressive heart. Okay, hearts that can express the joy of the Lord. We're not afraid to let our hearts express how much we're loved. We can shout aloud to the Lord with a voice of triumph. 
We're not afraid of what people think. We let him express his nature through us. Hmm. Thank you, Jesus, for doing that. For those who have had trouble, Lord, expressing their hearts, there's love inside them, but they just don't know how to express it. They've been afraid. Unlock their hearts to express all that you are. I break the fear of man. I break every lie of the enemy. I break guilt and condemnation. God so loves it when you express your heart to him. And even now I sense Holy Spirit coming upon his people. He wants you to express your love and devotion. You can do it. He's created an expressive heart within you. I break all the lies of tradition and religion. And I ask your Holy Spirit, teach us how to express like Jesus does. Thirdly, we talked about expectation. Lord, we just pray that every day we'll be expecting you to move. Every day we're looking for you to show off. When we come together, we're expecting that every week at Hope City Church, God explodes in his goodness and his kindness in miracles, signs and wonders. God cannot help but show up when his people are expectant. We expect you to move in this city, Lord. Amen, church? We expect you, Lord, to move through us this week. We expect, Lord, for opportunities to share our faith. We expect for opportunities to be generous. We expect for opportunities to love other people. Lord, we're expecting for an opportunity before we leave this place today to release your kindness and your goodness. And lastly today, Father, we thank you, Lord, that our hearts are inquiring. We're sensitive to your spirit, to how you would move. We say, Lord, use us, speak through us. Show us how to move with you, Holy Spirit. Our hearts are sensitive. We surrender our mind and our hearts, our mouths. Lord, we are your vessel today. Thank you, Father, for the culture of the kingdom that touches every area of our worship and our praise.